Hello, Marvelites. You are listening to This Week in Marvel, episode number 389. I'm Ryan, a.k.a. Agent M, and it is 8.08 in the morning. Right up top, I'm doing this one solo. It's a lot of me talking. Strap yourselves in, gird your loins, get ready for this. Our top news for this episode is we got some Disney Plus news, which I know so many of you are super excited about. We've been hearing rumors, we've been hearing speculation, we've been hearing stuff talked about. We can finally start to dig into some of it. So Disney Plus announced a slate of nonfiction projects. That's what I want to talk about first, including two new original series from us here in Marvel New Media. The first is Marvel's 616, an anthological documentary series exploring an intersection between Marvel's rich legacy of stories, our characters, our creators, and, of course, the world outside your window. This one means a lot to me personally because John Cirilli, my boss and a good friend of mine, and Harry Goh, another good friend of mine, co-worker, long time, two of them are working really hard on this. Uh, and I've seen and talked to them about this project, so I'm very excited about it. There's a lot of really cool stuff to come from that. The other project is Marvel's Hero Project, which reveals the remarkable positive change several young heroes are making in their own communities. It's really cool. They're sweet kids. And now Marvel is celebrating them and their heroic deeds like the true superheroes they are. But you guys, there's so much more. Holy moly. We have a lot to dig into because Disney Plus is coming. It's going to launch in the U.S. on November 12th, 2019 at $6.99 a month. Uh, there's so much content coming to this service. You know, of, of course, uh, we're going to talk about some of the Marvel stuff, but, you know, you're going to have... Pixar, Star Wars, National Geographic, they actually named that the service will be the exclusive streaming home for films released by the Walt Disney Studios in 2019 and beyond, including Marvel Studios' Captain Marvel, Marvel Studios' Avengers Endgame, plus, you know, little films like Toy Story 4, Lion King, Aladdin, Star Wars, Episode 9. My gosh, it's so much. But we got to talk about the original shows. New Marvel original titles for Disney+, Plus, including... WandaVision, which is a live-action series with Elizabeth Olsen returning as Wanda Maximoff slash The Scarlet Witch and Paul Bettany as The Vision. There's a show called The Falcon and the Winter Soldier, a live-action series with Anthony Mackie as Falcon and Sebastian Stan as Winter Soldier. Ya boy, Tom Hiddleston, will be reprising his role as Loki in a show for the streaming service. And then Marvel Studios coming hard with Marvel's What If, the first animated series from Marvel Studios taking inspiration from the comic books that I love so much. So that's Disney+. Plus. I do have to drop a little bit of an announcement. Uh, we're announcing this on Twitter as well today when we release this episode, but I am co-hosting the Marvel Live Twitter show with Marvel's Voices host, Angelique Roche. Two of us are going to be doing some fun stuff. It's going to have guests. It's going to be uh, full of reveals and secrets and all kinds of fun stuff. We're going to be doing that. The first episode is coming to you April 18th. That is next Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern. And wherever you are in the world, you can also watch it because it's live. It's on Twitter. Get it. So our episode this week is super fun because we don't have like a straight up big talk interview like we normally do. We've got two really cool sections that we're going to get to in a couple minutes. First is going to be one of our War of the Realms roundtables. 
where we talk with writer Jason Aaron, artist Russell Dodderman, and colorist Matthew Wilson about sort of where we are in the series. So we're going to do these between issues, essentially. We're going to do one right now, which is between issues one and two. We're going to do it between three and four, then again between five and six to give you guys a little insight into what's going on. And it's it's a lot of fun. I think you're, you know, if you're not reading War of the Realms, I hope this is going to get you supercharged because it is fantastic. Uh, I've already read issue number two, and it is brutal. So that's part of what we're doing this episode. The other part is actually from a couple weeks ago, we were at C2E2 in Chicago. CB had a panel called Marvel Fanfares, basically just talking about who he is, what he loves, his history with Marvel, and I was side-by-side side with him on that. So it's the two of us really just talking about being Marvel fans, engaging with the crowd there, and all kinds of good stuff. So we're going to edit that down and include some of that in this week's episode. But before we get into all that, some real quick stuff that we're hyped about this week, comma, including news. First up, my other show, Marvel's The Polis, had a special video episode that went out this week. It's our July previews episode. So it's a new thing that we're going to be doing every month where we actually reveal some stuff coming several months ahead of time. In this episode, we revealed the covers for House of X and Powers of Ten, some information about the new Loki series, and the Punisher Kill Crew, among others. You could check that out on Marvel.com, wherever you watch your Marvel videos. More July comic stuff. We have Web of Venom Funeral Pyre by... Colin Bunn and artists Alberto Albuquerque and Josh Casares, which has Carnage going after Andy Benton, who is the former host of Mania, uh, who super cool character. We also have in July Invisible Woman, her first solo series, which blows me away that this is the first solo series for her. Uh, it is by writer Mark Wade, who will team up with artist Mattia de Ilus, who uh, recently worked on the Jessica Jones digital comics that were so good. And it'll actually show her time as a spy for S.H.I.E.L.D.? Dun, dun, dun. Yes, that is really happening. Uh, there's more comics news. You can check that out on Marvel.com. We are two weeks away until the release of Marvel Studios Avengers Endgame. That is April 26th. And this week, you know, we're just going boom, boom, boom. EW revealed a bunch of their upcoming covers, six of them, in fact, for the issue that is dedicated to the film. Those look really, really cool. Some of the stars have been on Jimmy Kimmel Live. It is all happening. It is so close. I can taste it. Man. Very excited about that. Uh, there is a War of the Realms Ultimate comic, sort of a motion-y, comic-y thing. You can check that out on Marvel.com. Tons more news. Uh, Jamie and Tucker and the team are just putting so much stuff on Marvel.com. Uh, and I do have to shift gears, just pass along a little somber news that James Hudnall, a writer of ours, of, of many comics, of, of much, has passed away. He did... Tons of work for us in the 80s and into the 90s. He worked on Strike Force Moratori, which is really a, an incredible series. Something, if you've never read it, highly suggest you check it out. Uh, and we send our condolences to the family and friends of Mr. James Hudnall. Okay, we have to get to a little bit of this week in Marvel history. We got to talk about the week of April 12th through April 18th because there's some really great stuff. Like April 12th, 1966. So much happened that day. All right. Fantastic Four number 52 by Stan Lee and Jack Kirby has the first appearance of Black Panther, Wakanda, Vibranium, the heart-shaped herb, all in one issue. Same day, Tales of Suspense number 79, we get the Cosmic Cube first introduced uh, as the Red Skull makes his first non-flashback appearance in a modern Captain America story. He had shown up a little bit of like looking back to stories of the 40s, but this is bringing him 
into the modern times to face Captain America. And then in Strange Tales, issue number 146, both halves of this book deliver riches untold. In the Nick Fury slash S.H.I.E.L.D. side, we get the first appearance of AIM by Stanley, Jack Kirby, and Don Heck. And then in the Doctor Strange story by Denny O'Neill and Steve Ditko, there is a gorgeous battle between Doctor Strange and the Dread Dormammu. Then Dormammu battles Eternity. And then, most importantly, maybe for, you know, Strange's long history, we get to fully meet and learn the identity of Clea, who we'd only seen in Visions leading up to this Clea, being a a major sort of supporting character for Doctor Strange for many, many years. Let's jump ahead to April 13th, 1971. First appearance of Leonard Doc Samson, debuting in Incredible Hulk number 141. He's gamma-powered, he's buff, he's brainy, he's a therapist to the superheroes. In April 17th, 1973, we get Tomb of Dracula, number 10 by Marv Wolfman and Gene Colan, which is the first appearance of Blade. And I love his look. It is very 70s. It is really something. If you've never looked at it, Google it right now. April 13th, 1976 is Eternals number one by Jack Kirby. It introduces the Eternals and the Deviants and gives a hint at the Celestials who would start showing up in the next issue. It is weird and it is big and it is beautiful. I love the Eternal series. April 15th, 1986, Apocalypse making his full debut in the pages of X-Factor number six. He had a little cameo in the previous issue, but really, here he is. He's dancing around. He's singing. He's doing all the things you know Apocalypse does so well. April 16th, 1991, according to our pals at GiantBomb.com, Spider-Man, the video game, is released to arcades, and I love this game so, so much. It is a for the most part, a side-scrolling beat-em-up in the vein of Double Dragon or Streets of Rage or Fatal Fury. You know a lot of those games. In the arcade, you could have four players jump in at any given time. You could either be Spider-Man, Hawkeye, Black Hat, or Namor. You know, all of Spider-Man's best friends. Sure. Uh, It is so good. But you get to be Namor. It's great. Or Black Cat. The fact that In 1991, we had this. It was so cool. It's a really fun game. Uh, And then last thing for now, April 18th, 2017, the first episode of Guardians of the Galaxy, the Telltale series, was released for um, all your consoles and your PCs and all that good stuff. Uh, There'll be a couple extra points on the This Week in Marvel History article on Marvel.com that we'll pass along to Jamie. That is the history stuff, but we got to talk about the new comics on sale this week and the top books from this week's episode of Marvel's The Pull List. Tucker and I went with Dead Man Logan number six, Friendly Neighborhood Spider-Man number five, War of the Realms Journey into Mystery number one, and Winter Soldier number five. Some really, really good stuff up in there. Okay, let's keep this train rolling. I haven't had any coffee yet. I think I'm going to die in a couple of seconds. Uh, We've got to get to our kind of biggish talkish and it is about war of the realms we've got the creative team here we've got them captured we have them to talk about some of the events of issue number one so if you've not read war of the realms number one please 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 go check it out right now it is one of my favorite comics one of my favorite series that we're going to read this year uh highly highly recommend it uh, we're going to talk about some spoilers and then we're going to get to a little bit of preview stuff for the upcoming books in the run and some of the tie-ins and all that good stuff so here we are with Jason Aaron, Russell Dodderman, and Matthew Wilson talking War of the Realms. All right, we are here again with Jason Aaron, Russell Dodderman, and Matt Wilson, the creative team of War of the Realms. And we're going to start our first of three. 
I don't want to call them spoiler casts because they're not fully spoilery, but they're sort of like check-ins on this big event, this big series that's going on. And, you know, act one is the world at war. So issue one is out now. Issue two is on the way. What is going on? What are the big things that just happened, Jason? Well, all the worst bad guys from the Ten Realms showed up in Times Square and started killing everybody. Thor got taken off the board and he's trapped in Jotunheim facing an army of frost giants all by himself. And Loki got eaten by his father. (laughs) (laughs) Russell, how much fun was it to draw that? Oh, my God. (laughs) Actually... This is going to sound terrible, but it was really fun to draw his legs all squiggly when he was getting eaten. <laughs> I shouldn't say that. Um, it was a it was morbidly a, comic. It's too late. It's too late. Yeah. Too late yeah. so. I wanted to make it as you know visceral, and I knew that Matt would come through with the color palette that would really make it pop. And um, we knew that that had to be a really big moment in the issue. So I tried to make it as horrible and gruesome, and make everybody reading the comic as horrified as I was when I was reading Jason's script. Well, and I think you, 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 you made it a bigger image, right? Wasn't it like a, yeah, yeah, it was most of a page. We added a, it was like, we added a page so that, um, that could moment could have more of an impact. I think originally the, the page, it happened on the fourth panel of the page before, you know, when Loki's talking to Freya. Right. And I thought that if we moved it, to the next page, then it would just have more space to breathe and to really have an impact. Yeah, I think in my mind when I wrote it, I was just imagining Laufey like popping a Tic Tac, you know, just like <laughs> tossing, <laughs> tossing him in his mouth. And then Will and Russell were like, no, we need to, he's got to like chomp on him. Yeah. Gotta, and I, so I, in this one case, I wasn't the guy who made it super gross and weird. Yeah, I'm surprised. <laughs> but yes, it's awesome. It's a great because he has a knack pick. of uh, wiggling out of those situations. So I think it needed to be pretty clear that. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's pretty clear. Yeah, and yeah it's pretty clear. Crunch in the background in case you were yeah. wondering. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. Was the sound effect something you put in there? Yeah. Russell? Yeah. A lot of the sound effects that are kind of behind the art like that or that are between you know, different elements of the art, I'll draw in myself and then Matt will color them so that they, you know, really take on the palette of the page. And so for that one, I tried to make it look really scraggly and intense and try to take on the feeling of what that panel should be. <laughs> yeah, hol- holograms don't crunch. I think that was really lucky. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you should have a t-shirt. Holograms don't yeah. crunch. Uh, yeah, I, I I love that, of course, and through your, your Thor run and seeing the, the effects built in, you know, that Walt Simonson is exactly yeah aspect of Thor. It feels so good. It feels so good. I felt like that was something you have to do after, you know, Walt did it so amazingly. You have to try to at least try to put some sound effects in like he did. Yeah. So who are some of the standout heroes and villains of this act? Of act one? Yeah. Well, you, you get Spider-Man popping up. He shows up and helps out Thor's mom. You get Frank Castle, who gets involved and shoots it up with a frost giant. <laughs> Daredevil shows up. Black Panther shows up with all of the Avengers. And then you get a glimpse of uh, Thor's mom, Freya, and his dad, Odin. Some of the main Thor supporting characters who will be a big part of this, too. Yeah. It seems like, you know, obviously Loki's off the table, but Thor's off the table, too. 
seemingly who's going to have to step up. You know, we're, we're talking about some of these characters now that have roles, but like this is the Marvel Universe getting like their door knocked down and said, hi, we're here to take over globally. Who, who do we look to? I think that's a really good question. I think you get the answer pretty quickly in issue two. You know, a lot of the characters we've just talked about are going to have to step up. In particular, Daredevil is one of those characters. It's clear from even before you read War of the Realms number one, if you've seen the promo images, you know something's up with Daredevil. He's going to be a little bit different version of Daredevil, so that's still to come. But yeah, the beyond the characters you see in Artie on the ground in New York fighting away in issue one, there are a few more that, that make their debut in, in issue two. Russell and Matt, you know, which characters did you have the most fun with when you were, you know, working on those first two issues, sort of the, the beginning of this war fully hitting Midgard? In issue one, it was really great to draw Spider-Man. I mean, Jason gave him a really nice intro page that, you know, Matt and I got to try to make pop. And I love his meetup with Freya and how he's a little bit... um not horrified, but just a bit taken aback at how brutal she is with the dark elves. <laughs> and, you know, she has seen Malekith's war, you know, firsthand, and she knows that this isn't a, a joke and that she needs to be tough, and he's just a little taken aback by that. And I love his interactions with Hildegard, especially and when Sif and Jane and Hildy show up. Mm-hmm. Uh, I really loved that meeting. Yeah, I think for me it was um, as much fun to color it, but then, like, to read the dialogue with it or read the script before coloring it was uh, maybe there might have been Cap getting introed in the issue when he's like, what would what would Thor do? And it's that answer, I would assume, is smack a frost giant in the face. And but mm-hmm. for Captain America to do that, he's running up the stairs in a building. And then the next time you see him, he comes flying out the window shield first and like right into the face of the frost giant. And then the way Russell drew that sequence is you have Cap in the foreground landing on like the roof of a car, which of course is like crumpling under his weight, you know, and he's landing very heroically. And then the next panel is, and you can, oh, and then the background of that panel, you see the frost giant's foot kind of coming off the ground. And then in the next panel, Cap's hopping off the car, moving on to the next thing, while the frost giant's like falling to the ground. Uh, I love that 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 scene, uh, both in its uh, concept and its execution, is probably my favorite. Yeah, yeah. fun stuff. I think we got to talk about Malekith taking a shield to the face. In a shield. Oh yeah, <laughs> that's a great drawing. <laughs> I loved that in the script so much that you know, because yeah. it's right in the middle of Malekith's like "I'm here to conquer yeah. your world" speech, and then Cap just like whacks him in the face with the shield. I really love yeah. that. And his hair still looks amazing yeah. <laughs> with that shield. You know, he uses good product. Right. Hair is always yeah. on point. Yes. <laughs> the dark elves have good hair products. Yeah. yeah. Everybody yeah. knows that. And horrible housing options. But. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> uh, it must be fun and helpful for you to be writing Avengers at the same time as you're writing, you know, War of the Realms and writing Thor. And so having all this sort of flow around. Yeah. Well, I mean, one, it helped to know who was going to be in the Avengers a year ahead of time <laughs> when I wrote that issue. Because Blade, Blade was not even, was not an Avenger yet. We were still months away from that when I wrote War of the Realms number one. But yeah, now we get Blade running around. And uh, I wanted to have Blade be an Avenger, not just to fight vampires, but I wanted him to stick around and get involved in other stuff too. So I think you just wanted to be able to say, I put Blade on the Avengers, mic drop, walk away, because it's <laughs> awesome. Yeah, but where I'm not walking away yet. I'm <laughs> yeah, still exactly. here. I'm holding on to the mic. <laughs> it's good. Because I love Blade. Yeah. yeah, Blade's dope. There's so much to come 
in uh, issue number two as we wrap up act one. Uh, now we're going to come back soon because this this series is just like it's popping every couple of weeks we're getting a new issue and when we come back we're going to be talking about act two where the heroes have to reclaim the realm stay tuned for that real soon big thanks to that titanic trio of creators we will have them back in a couple of weeks and then again in a couple of weeks after that to keep talking war of the realms this spring uh, but right now we've got to talk with Myself and C.B. Sobolski from C2E2 in Chicago. This is uh, some snippets and clips from the recording that we did of the Marvel Fanfare panel. Some of the stuff we had to cut simply because the crowd didn't always have microphones and C.B. was talking to the crowd a lot. It's all great. We're having a great time. Now, listen to me and C.B. How's everybody doing? Thank you for coming. This is the Marvel Fanfare panel. Uh, yeah. started out last year as kind of a, a meet the editor-in-chief panel for me to get to know some of the fans and tell you a little bit about myself. But it's more of a casual, just kind of intimate, share our love of Marvel experience. If you want to come down closer, feel free. Don't be shy. Uh, my name is C.B. Sobolski, and I'm the editor-in-chief at Marvel. Woo! Uh, Long-time Marvel fan, been reading for, Jesus, I just turned 48, and I started when I was six. I've been reading for 42 years, Uh, and what we are here to talk about is Marvel. You know, this is Marvel's 80th anniversary, going back to not just, you know, 1939 when we launched with Marvel Comics number one, but really, you know, 1961 with the launch of the Marvel Age, Stanley and Jack Kirby, and when they started building that superhero universe, You know, we are all here because we're fans of that, right? And this is really just kind of, you know, an interactive kind of panel for us to talk about everything we love about Marvel. If you have questions, you don't have to really go to the mic even. If you raise your hand, we can call on you. It's a small enough group. I will say we want you guys to be a part of Marvel. It's like the way that you and I have talked about this, Steve, is that like Stan Lee made the blueprints for everything we do, right? Stan and Jack, but from a perspective of the editor-in-chief, from the hype, from the excitement, from the love of these characters in this universe, Stan started it all. And so he always had the letters pages and him and Flo and everybody had great interactivity with the fans. So that's part of why you wanted to put this together. So there's a microphone there. If at one point you're like, you know what, I have a question. Get on up. We'll start talking to you. We want to hear from you guys about stuff throughout this whole path. Yeah, Captain America. Okay, let's do this. Absolutely. So during Casada and Alonso's tenure, there was a concentrated effort by Marvel to increase diversity or reinvent older characters in a new way, to the point where you've got Luke Cage shows, Jessica Jones, Marvel Rising, Captain Marvel movie with Carol Danvers. What character or group of characters is going to be CB's character? Who are we going to remember from your tenure at Marvel? Wow. Right off the bat. (laughs) I mean, were you here for the next big thing panel? I was watching it online. I was in, unfortunately, I was in line for an autograph. Um, Just to go back to what you said, though, I really think that the push for diversity and new cool characters and modernizing things did start with Stan when you go back. You know, oh, Marvel has always been on the cutting edge of comic book publishing, you know, from Black Panther to Carol Danvers to Danny Moonstar, you know, Shang-Chi. There's all these characters that were introduced over the years because Stan wanted it and the, and the editors and creators at the time wanted to reflect the world outside the, the window. And some characters stuck and live on today. Some didn't, you know, uh, fare as well. 
But, you know, we do have a saying, and this is something that I really like to talk to the editors about, especially the younger editors who are pitching books, because sometimes the names of some characters come up and people laugh. And because, oh, that's just a dumb character. And what I was told uh, when I started at Marvel, it was, it's going almost 20 years now, um, my first uh, boss was Ralph Macchio, who was one of the longtime editors of, of Marvel. Uh, he was hired by Stan. And uh, Ralph reminded me, and I, there was some t- it, it was the same thing. He mentioned a character one time, and I said something like, oh, that's just a dumb character. And Ralph once told me that there are no bad characters. There are just characters that haven't been written well yet. And that's something that I've always kept in my head and tried to instill, uh, you know, when I was writing or when I'm, now that I'm in the editor-in-chief to the younger editors. Because Ralph would always talk about a character like Bullseye, who was introduced as kind of a joke. He was just a clown for the most part, who had this ability to throw darts or do funny things with his power. And it wasn't until Frank Miller took him and said, you know what, I can do something with him, that made him one of the biggest badasses in the Marvel Universe. So it's something I keep in mind. So one of the things that I'm, I'm, I'm focusing on now to, to get to the, the, the answer to your question is, um, not only am I hoping under my tenure with my team that my editors and the creators will be able to introduce characters that stand the test of time uh, and really reflect the world outside our window, but I also want to look back at the library that Marvel has of 8,000 characters because there's so many characters that I think are, is, are cool that can, we can look at bringing back and making cool again. And I don't know what the answer is going to be just yet, uh, I honestly don't, uh, but you know, there's some cool stuff coming in the books, and I hope that you know, someday, looking back, that you know, when you look back on the, the time that we are in now, uh, that people are going to look back and say, wow, Marvel is publishing some great books by some great creators, and there's going to be characters that jump from the page to uh, the, the big screens, uh, you know, Spider-Gwen, like Miles Morales, mm-hmm. like Kamala Khan, like these fantastic characters that have been created. Um, and one of the things that I'm proudest of, and this is going back, and I know I'm rambling, I was an editor, and I was able to edit my first book. Uh, Bill Jemis and uh, Joe Casada really said, we want to give some of the younger editors editorial reins and let us pitch our, our own concepts, new characters. We don't want to do anything that's been there. One of the books that I uh, helped birth uh, was hiring Brian Vaughn and Adrian Alfona to uh, launch Runaways. And that is just one of still my proudest moment. And I know it doesn't happen when I was editor-in-chief, but it's something that going out to the set and interacting with the actors and the actresses and, you know, seeing the looks on, you know, Brian's and Adrian's faces when these characters are brought to life by living human beings and then show up on our TVs is just amazing. So I hope that there'll be many more successes like that in the years to come with the the editorial team we're with now. Living human beings and animatronic dinosaurs. Animatronic dinosaurs. So cool. Uh, We will keep getting to more of your questions. Thank you for that one. I do want to, because CB and I also went through our archives and started finding old pictures and old things that are kind of wonderful and embarrassing and silly, but also like marks of our time as Marvel fans and at Marvel. So we want to pepper those in between all your questions. So um, I don't want to make you stand that whole time. So, just, But if you want to, you can. Yeah, you want to, you can, but we'll, we'll <laughs> kind of go back and forth. So my secret history is I did not start life, and I don't remember this, as a Marvel fan. So my first Halloween, my parents didn't know any better, (laughs) and I dressed up as Superman, or I was dressed up as Superman. Uh, Later, I got smart. Uh, 
I went back to my mom. I dressed up as many different characters over the years for Halloween, from Spider-Man to Wolverine to even, uh, well, it's part of the family now, uh, Bespin Luke Skywalker was one of my favorites. Um, so, I mean, I have been hardcore and you showed my love of Marvel whenever I could at all the different holidays. Now, did you ever dress up? I, the only Halloween costume I remember was I had a uh, Jason hockey mask on the front and a Bart Simpson mask on the back and, like, a, a muscly chest on the front. And like, I don't know why. Something was wrong with that child. And my mom was just like, I've worked 12 hours. Just do it. You're fine. Uh, nothing Marvel that I can remember, unfortunately. All right. Maybe, what's the next photo in here? Is it the... the next photo. Um, working at Marvel, as you know, a lot of us have had the, uh, the um, opportunity to meet Stan Lee. And I remember the first time that I met Stan. This is Carney's outside of, um, in L.A. And I was having a, a hot dog with a friend of mine who's there. And I heard his voice. And that's how I knew it was Stan. And this was well before I was at Marvel. And all of, us, all of a sudden behind me I hear, can I have a chili burger and a beer, please? And I was like, I, my, I, my wife said literally I turned white and the hair on my arms just stood up. Um, and... There was Stan, and I was just so nervous, and I was sweating, and I was like, got to go talk to him. I was like, no, you can't. It's Stan Lee. He's having lunch. So we left Carney's, and we waited outside till Stan came out, and we all took pictures with him. Uh, my wife was the camera woman, and she took a great shot of my buddy with Stan Lee with me over on the left. <laughs> so that is how I was immortalized in my first meeting with, with Stan Lee. But, you know, it was just, uh, he was so polite, so generous with his time, you know, with just dealing with us as, as fanboys out there who wanted to talk to him just in the middle of the street. And, uh, you know, I've told him that uh, story uh, many times before, before he unfortunately passed last year, and had the pleasure of, of meeting him and talking to him and working with him, you know, many times uh, over the years. But now, have, have, you've had some opportunity to meet and speak with Stan as well. While yeah, I, I had the, the pleasure of interviewing Stan a bunch of times, and uh, I, I grabbed a photo of my first time I met Stan, was inside the Marvel like interior booth at San Diego Comic-Con. I think this is 2008, and I have like three other pictures in this like two-minute span. He was signing books. He was like basically holding court. It was Stan being like, oh yeah, da, 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 talking to everybody and having a great time, and I'm like, Someone's like, just go over and, and ask him for a photo. I'm like, uh, Mr. Stanley, I would like a photo picture with you, please. Is that okay? And he said, yes, of course. What do you do? Uh, I said, I work for Marvel.com. He's like, oh, I love that website. And I was like, you don't care about Marvel.com, but I love you so much. I love you so much. I, I, the last, one of the last times I interviewed him, he, the camera stopped rolling. He goes, oh, boy, that was a great interview. And I was like, oh, that was like a hug from God. It was great. It was so cool. I always got the same impression, too, because when you would interact with Stan, a lot of times at the convention or places, he always had a, a team of people with him, you know? You know, his online, his online crew or people filming him or his manager. And, and um, whenever I would meet Stan, I would go up to him and I was like, oh, Stan, you might not remember me. And I would either tell him my name or I would see someone like, Whisper in his ear, kind of, you know? And like the queen. I, yeah, the queen and, and, yeah, exactly. Queen has people. So Stan had people. And I would go up and Stan would go, CB, how are you? Good to see you. And I was like, oh, you really don't remember who I am. But what didn't matter? I was meeting Stan Lee. The, the last time I saw Stan uh, was last summer. Uh, and I was sitting in a van that was completely, the windows were all blacked out. We were all at a convention and we were going to go to dinner. And I didn't know Stan was going to dinner with us. So I was sitting in a van and the windows were all blacked out. And I'm like on my phone or doing something. 
And all of a sudden, the door opens, and it's Stan. And he couldn't see in. And he looked in the van, and he went, oh, hey, CB, are you going to dinner too? <laughs> and I went, oh, my God. Stan actually knows my name. And I literally almost cried right there in the van. I, I didn't, like, I've never heard that. I had to hold in tears because I was like, he really does know who I am. <laughs> so. That's amazing. Uh, we'll take the next question at the mic. Um, I actually have a, not only a comic book background with Marvel, as I mentioned yesterday, but also a video game background. But one of the things I wasn't able to touch on and was curious about is uh, I was always curious, why is there not really a rollover when it comes to the novel, graphic novel writing team with some of these games? I'm pretty sure, you know, when it comes to video games, you don't want to force people into an unnatural state or unnatural habitat by saying, oh, yeah, you got this nice game license. Okay, you're forced to use our writing team, but... But uh, is there a way or is there some type of methodology or plan you think might be in the works or for someone like me who wants to be in both fields to sit there and say, hey, if you guys are working and writing our characters, you know, would you be interested in possibly using somebody from our novel team to work on your game as far as the writing? Because from what I've seen, as well as, you know, what's on the actual Disney career website, it's pretty much a non-existent uh, field or job title. Yeah, you know, Marvel Games has gone through some great uh, uh, leaps and strides over the last couple of years. Mm -hmm. uh, we used to license out a lot of our games to our partners uh, at the different game companies, be it Activision or Eidos or, you know, the different uh, mobile game companies. But now we've really taken everything in-house. And uh, Jay Ong with his team of, like, Bill Roseman and Mike Jones, they've really uh, spearheaded a lot of the game development over the last three years with our partners to make it feel more like the, what's happening in the Marvel books, more reflective of the Marvel universe. And I think you saw that. Uh, in the PS4 Spider-Man game, which yes. you know was, got to great acclaim and felt so real, it felt like so much like the Marvel universe. And to answer your question, and to, but you know, uh, Dan Slott, who was the writer on Spider-Man for almost a decade, uh, helped them come up with the story, conceive the story. Yeah, he did uh, Superior Spider-Man. Right? Yeah, write a lot of dialogue. Amazing Spider-Man too. Uh, he wrote a lot of the dialogue, and it worked out so well because it helped make that game more authentic. So as they've been going forward with Bill as the creative director, I'm a big comic book fan who worked in Marvel Publishing, he has connections to a lot of the writers. So he is calling on tapping their knowledge behind the scenes to work on stuff, and sometimes they are credited for it. Yeah, so when early on for Marvel Spider-Man for PlayStation 4, Sony, Marvel, we all came together, Insomniac, we all came together, and they brought Dan Slott, they brought uh, Stephen Wacker, who was longtime Spider-Man editor, they brought uh, Nick Lowe, longtime Spider-Man editor, and they brought Christos Gage, and all these people in to work with the game team. So Brian Intihar and his amazing team at Insomniac, and then... You know, over time, Christos, who was work, has been working with Dan Slott for years on Spider-Man and other projects, has done tons of Marvel work. He did a ton of work, actually, in the game for Marvel Spider-Man. Has everybody played the game? There's a line in there. Yeah, it's amazing. It's my favorite game of last year. And there's a line where J. Jonah Jameson is yelling about, Nazis made of bees! Which is a character named Swarm. And I, I, I caught that when I was playing the game, and I'm like, that is a deep cut. And I posted about it, and Christos was like, uh, that was my line. And so we do have Marvel writers. And actually, Christos is now writing Spider-Man City at War, which is, uh, I don't want to say straight adaptation of the game, because they're actually adding more to the story from the title. But we're publishing that as a comic series. So we are doing these things that you're talking about. There's no cool. specific Marvel writer who sits at Marvel, because we just don't do that. That's not how Marvel generally works from the comics or the games team, but 
Bill Roseman, who CB mentioned, is our creative director. He does pull in those things to bring those connective tissues together. Oh, I'm glad to hear it. Uh, I didn't have a second question. I just wanted to tell CB uh, thank you. No, thank you, and thank you for your interest in Marvel and your continuing support of everything that we do. Yeah. Yeah. And good luck. Yeah. Uh, CB, there, there's a is, is this your bedroom? Or yeah, your I want to ask a question first before we switch over to yeah. this. Um, do you remember what your first comic was when you were growing up? V so, kind of. I, I, I have very distinct memories of reading uh, at summer camp when I went, and I was probably like seven years old, eight years old. And I remember reading, um, I had John Byrne, West Coast Avengers, or Avengers, I can't remember if it was West Coast Avengers or Avengers West Coast, because there's the two titles, but it's the cover of Scarlet Witch, and she's, she's large on the cover, and she's holding the, the characters. I was never an Avengers kid growing up. I don't know why I had this comic. But I also remember reading Punisher War Journal, uh, the Wolverine, like, two-part story, yeah. which is very violent. For, six and seven, the yeah, Jim Lee issues. Yeah, six and seven, right? yeah, the Jim Lee issues, Carl Potts. Wonderful stuff, great, I love it still. But I was kind of too young to be reading it, but, you know, like, here I am. I'm a vice president of Marvel. It all worked out. Yes, it did. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, those were me. What about for you? For me, uh, it was X-Men, Uncanny X-Men 121, Chris Claremont and John Byrne. Uh, you know, it was just kind of the introduction of Alpha Flight, and it's, it's why it's near and dear to me. That you know, I remember I, you weren't supposed to be reading that. X-Men at that point was like the, 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 the comic that your older brother was reading, you know. We, I was six years old. And, you know, I was still, you know, into comics, and I knew, saw some of the Marvel cartoons, and I knew from, you know, some of the shows, uh, and I found this comic, and I was just blown away how it was like, this isn't what I expected a comic book to be, you know? And uh, I was hooked from that point on. And the reason I bring that up right between the slides is, you know, a, a lot of us grew up as comic readers. Everybody here, people remember what their first comic was, I assume? Yeah? A quick, what was it? What was just a couple quick around the room. X-Factor 68. I actually have a copy of X-Factor 38 signed by Debbie Gibson. Do you remember her? What is that? <laughs> what? I was, uh, I was at, uh, she was filming a video in New York, and I was like, oh my God, it's Debbie Gibson. And she was coming out, she was signing things, and I had just gone to Forbidden Planet. I was like, I forget how old. And the only thing I had was a comic book, and I was like, oh, all right, I'll have Debbie Gibson sign my comic book. But not on the cover, on the letters page. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> And years later, I had Walt Simon decided on the cover, and I showed him the, uh, the, the Debbie Gibson signature. That's so good. You said X Factor 68? Yeah. yeah X Factor 68. I think it's 67 or 68. Somewhere in there, it's, it's the, uh, the X-Men and the Inhumans. It's that storyline uh, with, with Apocalypse and all this stuff. Has my favorite handshake in all of comics. Wills Portacio draws this. It's Cyclops and uh, a Black Bolt shaking hands, but they grab each other's arms, and it's the most manly thing. Their arms are exploding. It's just like, oh! I love it. It's so good. Uh, before we keep going, let's, let's take another question. Hi there. I actually got brought into comics very late, uh, in probably my first week in grad school, actually, uh, through uh, Alan Heinberg and Jim Chung's Young Avengers series. Yeah. Uh, so good. And still, uh, obviously favorite characters of all time. Uh, I'm just wondering, uh, there was some news that came out in October uh, that 2019 was going to be a good year for us fans of Young Avengers, and we had things coming, and I'm just wondering, we haven't heard anything. Uh, how, sh how should we, if we can't give away too much. It is definitely going to be a good year for fans of Young Avengers, let's put it that way. Mm. Uh, as for Alan's involvement or Jim Chung's involvement, I can neither 
confirm or deny at this point. I like CB's looking at me like I'm going <laughs> to, like you're the boss. Well, yeah, like you're in charge. I don't know. Yeah, no, that's funny. Sure. We'll say you want a funny Alan Heiberg story? Yeah, sure. I was a huge OC fan. That's how I love that show. And uh, that's how we first got exposed to uh, Alan Heinberg. Uh, Alan ended up doing an interview in Wizard Magazine, I think it was at that point, with Cotton. And we said, oh, he's a huge fan. I was actually out in Hollywood. A uh, friend of a friend introduced me to Alan. He brought me out to the OC set. We had a great time. We stayed in touch. Uh, and then he called me up one day and he goes, you know what? You should watch tonight's episode of the OC. And I'm like, oh, I'm going to watch it anyway. And he's like, great, I think you're going to really enjoy it. And I said, oh, great, what's it going to be? And there's a scene where the kids go and get fake IDs. And then uh, I forget, it wasn't the guy who's on Gotham now. I forget the actor's name. Uh, but it's, it was the other kid. Uh, and he looks at his ID and he goes, C.B. Sobolski, what kind of fake name is that? <laughs> That's, <laughs> That's great. Terrific. So if you go back and watch That's the great. OC box set, you'll see that in there. Wonderful. I was so appreciative we gave him the Young Avengers gig. <laughs> That's not how it worked. No, it's not don't how it worked. <laughs> like, uh, don't be making up any stories. <laughs> so. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you. Good stuff. I'm Mateo, and I was just wondering um, what, uh, if you guys had your way and, like, the stars align, is your uh, one very niche character that you'd want to really push for that doesn't get enough light? What character could we bring more out into the spotlight? You know, I always say, like, I'm, Modoc is my favorite character, but we announced a Modoc series mm -hmm. coming, so, you know, like, I win. I'm done. <laughs> Game over, man. Game over. Uh, loners. Good answer. Uh, <laughs> I used to answer this question by saying Cloak and Dagger, but Cloak and Dagger is very heavily out into the spotlight now. Uh, the new TV series debuts in two weeks, I think. On yeah, April 4th. Uh, uh, yep, yep. Sure. Uh, I was just actually down in Austin at South by Southwest. Got to go to a Cloak and Dagger launch party. Met the cast. They're so cool. They're great. Uh, I can't wait for uh, the, the, the season to start. So that would have been my answer. Uh, now, and even though he's cool and he gets a spotlight, where I think a character we could do more with in the comics, and he's had some great runs already, but also outside on the, the small and big screens is Moon Knight. Uh, yeah. I, think, I think Moon Knight, Moon Knight's day is coming soon, I hope. Oh, I got one more. Pace Pot Pete. CB, this is my official <laughs> request. I would like to see more Pace Pot Pete because he's the best. He carries around a little pot full of paste, and he glues people to things. <laughs> the best. Who would you do? Who's your character you don't think we, we spotlight enough? Uh, um, Stumped. You know, I would I would have said more Red Hulk again, right. but you guys killed General Ross. You know what we always say? Dead is dead at Marvel. <laughs> <laughs> I guess Dakin right all now. Right, Dakin, all right. Dakin's great. Hey, but couldn't someone else be the Red Hulk? I mean, Ooh. you know, Bruce, the, the Hulk has gone through many. Bruce Banner is always Bruce Banner. He's the classic Green Hulk, but I think someone else could become the Red Hulk. That yeah. sounds interesting. So the next photo is one of my favorite photos I didn't even know I had. This yeah. photo is so cool. It's like two editor-in-chiefs, like the, you guys talking to each other. I don't know the context, what the conversation was, but this... I got this photo. I don't know. Did you see it before? I, I had. You, I saw it when you when I sent, sent it, it over. Man, it makes me so happy. This photo is so cool. You know, it reminded me, and you know, this is just a, a, a personal thing for me. Um, uh, when I took over as editor in chief, uh, I was living in China at the time, 
And I'd visited back and forth to try to, you know, uh, set up everything and, you know, get the, get the staff motivated and, you know, figure out, you know, you know, make the transition smooth. And when I flew back, which was almost, it was an anniversary last year or, or last week, uh, it was uh, the 15th of uh, March was when I took over full, first stepped in the office as the editor-in-chief for the first time, you know, full time. Uh, I got into my office and there was an envelope and I opened up the envelope and there was a letter from Joe Casada. And, you know, just like the, uh, the, the presidents, you know, pass notes and advice down from one to, to, to the other when they change, you know, the offices, uh, Joe wrote me this, like, and I've known Joe for years, even before we were, we were at Marvel, Joe wrote me this heartfelt letter about what it means to be editor-in-chief, you know, kind of the great power, with great power there also must come great responsibility, and gave me, you know, the, the, the sage bits of advice that he learned that he wanted to pass on. And I literally did cry in my office reading this letter because it was so uh, heartfelt and, and touching and really set the, the course for how I approach Marvel and, you know, work with the staff. And this, seeing this photo kind of, like, just reminded me of that as well. Yeah, it, like, I love it. I want to get this framed and put it up in the, in the office. Yeah, that's beautiful. Thanks it's for really, finding it. Yeah, mm -hmm. no, my pleasure. I just found it. Hi. Um, right now, my favorite book on the stands is Immortal Hulk. And I love the fact that you went, instead of a superhero book with horror elements, it's more a horror book with the superhero elements. Do you think you'll, we'll see more of that kind of in different titles, maybe like a spy book with superhero elements instead of the usual like Black Widow's uh, run or something like that? Yeah, you know, it all depends on, uh, you know, the, the moods of the creative team and the editorial team. We never try to push people in one direction or the other. Uh, that book, uh, especially, uh, was just Al Ewing's baby. He had these ideas about how he could make this book and tie it into Marvel history and make it more of, like you said, a horror book with superhero elements. Um, it is Marvel's 80th anniversary. We have been exploring some of the older genres, uh, sci-fi, you know, uh, romance, kind of comedy. And there are some writers who have been inspired to take some influence from those and to start incorporating into the stories. I don't have any specific examples, but yes, you know, Marvel creates comic books and characters for everybody. You know, uh, just like the films that play, they're superhero based, but playing different genres, our comics do too. And Immortal Hulk has been a great example of how combining two genres in a unique way could come up with an unprecedented success for the Hulk. So we are going to be, you know, letting our writers uh, tell their stories uh, with different concepts going forward. So hopefully we'll soon have another hit like Immortal Hulk on our hands that will combine some different elements of superheroes that you haven't seen before. Thank you. Yeah, because I've always wanted a Winter Soldier book that's like him being Jason Bourne. Oh, so yeah, see, so, that'd be awesome. Yeah, yeah. that'd be super cool. Thank you very thank much. You. Uh, thank you, everybody, for being part of Marvel Fanfare. Thank you all so much. Really, it's great to come here and meet everybody who loves Marvel. All right, big thanks to CB and, of course, to all the fans who came out for our Marvel Fanfare panel. CB's been doing these at different conventions with different people. It's a lot of fun. Time for our community section. I will give our question of the week in a couple of minutes, but uh, a couple of tweets in here. I've got uh, Robert, Captain Rogers 44, who says he got his ticket for Marvel Studios Avengers Endgame minutes after they went on sale, 6 p.m. on the 25th, first showing in his area. Well done, Robert. Tech Lord says, my April 3rd Twim of the Week would be War of the Realms number one. I wanted to not give in to the hype, but it was a great opening issue, set the board nicely, and was full of fun quips, epic fights, and great moments. And that's just issue number one. Damn Skippy, Tech Lord. 
Steve Agnew tweets in saying, excited to see and read what the Marvel writers have planned during the recent retreat for our future reading pleasure. I want to spill so much. Uh, we recorded with C.B. Sobolski actually this week about our This Week in Marvel Unlimited Reading Club, which is a great reminder. The Reading Club for the 70s is going to be Avengers 160 through 162. Those are some classic Jim Shooter, George Perez, Avengers issues. You've got Grim Reaper, you've got Ultron, you've got The Birth of Jocasta. Some really cool stuff in there, so check those out. You're going to hear that episode in a couple of weeks. But CB was talking about how it was really interesting as him reading this was thinking about the stuff that he and the team has planned for Marvel Comics and how it all kind of came together. All right, our question of the week is about War of the Realms. We know that War of the Realms is a big Marvel Universe story, so it's going to have Daredevil, the god without fear. It's got Spider-Man with a little Viking helmet on. It's got Captain America with Yarnbjorn, uh, Thor's amazing axe, which I also have a tattoo of. It's got so many cool characters being involved in this. And I want to know, which character are you most excited to see in War of the Realms? It's really touching everybody. So let us know. Use the hashtag ThisWeekInMarvel, uh, and we'll get to those next week. That's it. I think, I think I'm tapped out. Everybody, we'll see you next week. I'm Ryan, and this is Marvel, your universe.